When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. <laughs> It's Purple Daily. All right, welcome into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, live from Los Angeles. I feel warm and wonderful. I got off the plane. I didn't even need a coat. And now it is sunny outside and uh, back in studio in Minneapolis, freezing his face off. Alex Boone, what is going on? Cold Alex Boone, how are you? I hate everything about you right now. Yeah, I know. Isn't it great? So cold. I, so cold right now. I, I, this is, it, When I left, my nose was frozen to my face, <laughs> and uh, I couldn't breathe, and my eyelids didn't work. And when I got here, all of a sudden, um, you know, I, I felt reinvigorated for life, and I'm probably going to the beach later. So that's great for me, and that's not fair. for you. No. Um, no. Yeah, I, I've I've argued this with a few people, Alex, and I'm going to get Myron's take on it tomorrow because I will continue to talk smack about being in the warm weather. Um, but I think it's fine. Like I think it's passable. You're not being a massive jerk by saying, "Yeah, I feel great to be not in the winter for a couple days." I think that's you can do that. No, absolutely. I think you're absolutely afforded that right. My question is though, <laughs> do you think that if you were playing a game, that going from that cold to that warm would affect you? Uh, I have no idea. That would be uh, probably your territory. Reporters, it doesn't. No, you feel great either way. As long as they have good food before the game, you're fine. What Does it affect you to go from I think uh, does, the yeah. central time zone and cold to warm? Because the Vikings are having to practice inside, clearly, this week, and then go out and play in the 70-degree weather. So that does impact you. Yeah, I think so. I think that it's not so much that it's practicing indoors. It's the fact that you're still walking out to your car and it's five degrees. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you get on a plane and you get off and it's 65 degrees. Like there's something that in your body that's just like, man, this is weird. And it, it, you sweat a lot more. You have to push your fluids a little bit more. You have to eat a little cleaner. You obviously, you know, long trip across country swelling. I mean, there's a lot of things that take place. It's it's pretty insane, though. So I have noticed even myself for walking the dog, which I do every day outside, that it was two degrees below or something like that when we walked out. And I had a coat on, obviously, but I felt like yeah, I, I must have adjusted here because I don't want to die, and it is two degrees under zero, and yet I, I have adapted. So I, I guess that makes sense that even some small climate change would have an impact on pro athletes. Oh, absolutely. And then you you, you lay into the fact that you th- have taken a long plane flight, right? So you've just been sitting there, and then you got to get off. you kind of got to get the blood flow. That was the greatest thing about San Fran is that when we would take long trips, because we always had to take a long trip somewhere, mm-hmm. when we got off, we instantly would do a workout. 
out. And they would have us run around. And as much as you hated it, like that night or the next morning, you would feel right at home. Like you were like, man, I feel so much better. Like, because you get off, you're kind of groggy. Yeah. And you're like, man, I don't want to do this. And they give you all this terrible food, right? Like burgers, chicken fingers, overdone steaks. That sounds wonderful, except for overdone. But no, uh, no, no. But, well, you don't want to eat all that the night before a game. You want to oh, eat a man. burger and chicken fingers. You're like, nah, I'll have the Caesar salad, I guess. Very I different perspectives here. I want to eat that all in the press box <laughs> and the night before and oh, after. No, no. When I was in Kansas City, I four straight times had barbecue. I went to four barbecue places four times in a row and was like, yep, yep, I'm good. This I'm is, good. This is the life. Gates, yep. <laughs> get, get some gates. Well, yep. see, now that's the nice thing is that like, when you go to like places like Kansas City, when you leave, they give you some of the best barbecue oh, for the place. Oh, it's incredible. St. Louis, they used to have some of the best barbecue. New York had meatball subs. Uh, oh, man, it's just so... And then I remember one of the nutritionists was like, one year was like, listen, I'm getting rid of all this terrible food, guys. I don't like you guys eating like this after the game. It's not good for you. And somebody was like, you think that's the worst thing we're eating? Wait till you get on the plane, lady. Like, that's when this <laughs> stuff really goes down. She was so mad and offended by it that she was just like, whatever. I'm done. Uh, well, okay. you know, you, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong because I don't know anything about this. I'm only like in okay shape to the point where I can get on a treadmill and run a mile and not feel in severe pain. Uh, but fair. I, there is some level to the nutrition stuff where you're like, okay, I mean, if the guy pounds a massive burger, he's probably going to be all right. Especially what often. Of lime, what do you guys eat calories a day? You've got to find some of that stuff, right? Oh, yeah, well, you have to. It's just the night before the game. It because for me, it was more mental like, hey, you know, yesterday you ate a cheeseburger. I don't know if you're going to be running around as well as you think. Like, that would be my mind like Mm, five minutes before a game. I was like, God, this is terrible that I would do this to myself. So I just stopped that and was like, salads and just grilled because it was like before a game, I'd rather be like, man, I am so thin and hungry. I'm just gonna have to wreck shop today. Well, that that makes sense. Uh, I take the opposite approach. Let me be as full as possible. Um, And then they give us pizza after the game. So I'm always... Do they really? Yeah, they do. They bring pizza to the press box after the game. It's... It's not bad. I have no complaints about that. Uh, I, I wanted to start off with you, Alex, though, because the Vikings are playing the Chargers and I am here in L.A. with let's talk about the best Chargers ever, like our, our favorite Chargers ever. This is a franchise that has been around forever, and it is a travesty they're in L.A. Sorry, Chargers, you should be in San Diego. But they have a, they have a lot going for them in terms of if you were just going to rank teams for how likable they are, like let's say you met someone that was not a football fan and they're trying to get into it. You're like, all right, let me lay out the case for some of these teams. You're probably not starting with current roster because this person is going to be a fan for a long time. So you want a team that's pretty competitive, though, consistently over a long period of time. You want awesome jerseys. You want a cool area of the country to play. And here's the other part that I would say. You don't want a front runner, but you don't want a disaster. So you wouldn't say, oh yeah, be a fan of the Patriots, right? No. You would not say be a fan of Cincinnati either because you're just locking your into a very sad existence and will probably quit liking football. San Diego slash Los Angeles Chargers are a great franchise to start with because they have a pretty awesome history, but they also have many disaster things that have happened to them that sort of endears you to a team the way Vikings fans feel. And I I think there's sort of something about them as a franchise that makes them inherently hard to dislike. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. Uh, I think that when you're talking, I mean, the Chargers to me are, are a team that 
when you're talking about them, they're they're we used to play them every year, and it was so it was such a conundrum with them, especially because I feel like everything is up and down with Philip, and he has been like the master of the ship for so long mm-hmm. that the more like like this year, I'll give you the best example. This year, right? You look at this team when they're on fire, dude. They look good. They look like last year's forty five like, to ten against right. Jacksonville. Where you're like, man, what is this team? Well, they just knocked the socks off of that team. But then you go out in the next week, and Phillip throws three interceptions, and the team goes nowhere, and you're like, dude, what? 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 The defense doesn't show up. You're like, wow, what is going on right now? It's Everything is predicated off what Phillip Rivers does. And that's why all this clamoring of him leaving makes no sense to me. Because if I'm the Spanos, I'm like, listen... This guy can't ever wear another jersey ever again. Yeah, like, that's just yeah, that's just how it has to be. I'm sorry, Tom Brady, and Phil, right? And Philip Rivers, they're never going to leave because they can never wear a different jersey. It would just look bad on the league. So it's like, man, we're going to have to deal with another season of this. Like, what if he's like, I want back, I'm back and ready to roll, guys? Like, can you be like, nah, man, you got to stay away. Like that's to me, I don't know. And I and I think that this team has been, you know, the injury factor. Melvin Gordon didn't help this year. And then he comes back and he doesn't play like he should have been playing. Like Austin Eckler's really showed up more, and it's just everything is revolving though around Phillip and how he plays is how the team plays, in my opinion. Yeah, no, you're right. And his uh, great performances sometimes have been marred by classic Philip Rivers interceptions at the end that have cost them. And the uh, expected win-loss based on their point differentials, they should be about an eight-win team. But instead, they're a five-win team because of so many close losses. And I, I think that the the ups and downs and the roller coaster of the San Diego-slash-Los Angeles Chargers has endeared me to them. Aside from the unis. I mean, the unis are great. It's just a, such a great. classic. I mean, it looks like it was designed in the 60s, and then they wear the powder blue, which I just think oh, looks great with almost yeah. any sport. And and they've been a roller coaster for the entire time he's been there. He comes and takes over for Drew Brees, immediately goes 14-2, and two, and Marty Schottenheimer gets fired after That's that. That's crazy. That's right? crazy. And they have, they have all these wild things happen to them. They miss field goals. They come this close. They fall apart. Last year, they win all their games on the road and struggled at home, I think, and then they go on the road in the playoffs, completely no-show against Tom Brady, but just me as a uh, I don't know if it's just sports fan or sports journalist or which part of me it is that that pushes this. But I love to look at the teams that have never gotten there but have been close and say, yeah, I'd love to see this team someday be great. And they were good so many years. But also there's this really long stretch where they're just 7-9 and nine or there's 8-8. Eight and eight and right. Rivers is, like you said, I mean, he's a roller coaster in himself, which almost endears me to him because he's a, a likable character. He's a gambler. Uh, he'll throw the ball down the field. He's got a stupid throwing motion that doesn't make any sense how he could be as accurate as he is. Yep. And and the fire that he's always played with, I think it's one of the most likable teams. And him as the face of that, sort of always the bridesmaid and never the bride in the uh, AFC. But it, it always has made me think, gosh, I wish Rivers would just get there. Just not, yep. doesn't even have to win. Just get there, man. Remember, like, what was it, Tuesday or last Tuesday you asked me if I could give a ring to one person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said Dan Marino. My second was Phillip Rivers, for sure, and Antonio Gates, because the two of those guys have been doing it together for a long time. And like you said, it's been a roller coaster ride. There's some years where they're really good, and then all of a sudden, like, the unexpected happens, like when you're the first seed and you get knocked off, and it's like, wait, that team was really good. Like, I was just thinking about that team because I wanted to bring Kasim Osgood on, who I played with, and he used to talk about Phillip, and his stories used to make you love Phillip because he was like, dude, 
this guy was the nicest guy you ever met. Never swore, never said a bad word, never brought a guy down. And then you watch that clip from last week against the Jaguars where he's yelling in Yannick's yes, ear like yeah. 90 yards. And he's like, hey, man, listen, that's cool. Just don't do it in my ear. He's like, yeah, well, it's 90 yards. And then he like <laughs> takes off right. Like that's a classic Phillip Rivers. Like I'm not going to swear at you. I'm not going to cuss you. I'm not going to degrade you. I'm just going to tell you what happened in a really exciting way. Like this total dad moment right there. Yeah, well, that was 90 yards. Like just the way he said it. You're like, man, that guy's awesome. You're right. You are endeared to him. And you're like, I feel so bad for him because you see him take so many shots. And, and, and talk about a guy that steps in there every time, never shies away from it. He's always like, listen, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And you're right. He's got a silly throwing motion, which makes me laugh sometimes. But there are times when he can throw one of the prettiest balls, and you're just like, man, this this guy is never going to win a ring, and that's just terrible. Yeah, and, and it, uh, of course, at this point in his career, even if he comes back next year, pretty low odds that they would have in the AFC. It kind of feels like they missed their shot last year. But, uh, okay, tell me your three favorite, and we could put Phillip Rivers aside from this because I think he would be in both of our lists, three favorite San Diego Chargers slash Los Angeles Chargers Ever as uh, oh, I know, people easy. who listen to the show regularly know this about you—that you absolutely just love football and football history. Um, but th- this seems like a question that would be perfectly up your alley to name oh, yeah. your three favorite Los Angeles Chargers ever. So what do you I'm got? Gonna give, I'm going to give you more than three. All right, you ready? In this order: number one, Philip Rivers, of course, clearly. Number two, Lorenzo Neal. There love is Lorenzo no question. Oh, yep. dude. Yep. Lolo Neal gets two for sure. Especially because he came on, he was so great. Three would have to be uh, Ladanian. Uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, dude. Nick Hardwick? Are you kidding me? Did you see the transformation this guy had from like 300 pounds to like 100? Incredible. And he's got that. Remember he had that long green sleeve, the tattoos. It you like would a pick a center. Dude, I loved, <laughs> loved watching Nick Hardwick play because he had the old-style face mask. And then we used to play them every year, so I used to go over and shake his hand and be like, dude, you are so cool. Yeah, And, and then uh, I would like walk away. It was terrible. Interesting about him, uh, I, I love to call up the uh, pro football reference has this thing called approximate value, which tries to capture how valuable somebody was to their team. And, right. and it, they just have great lists of four, you know complete teams ranked how valuable a guy was, and Hardwick is top 15 for them in their entire franchise history, uh, right behind Leslie O'Neill, who Dude. would probably be on my list. Um, I, I would say Junior Seau, to me, is number oh, one yeah. all time. It, it's him and everybody else for me, um, <laughs> because even you know just growing up, he was the hard-nosed guy. And even though we've learned as we've gone along that some of those hits were... Um, <clears throat> Probably not the best for Mr. Seau, uh, no. but he was the pinnacle of like toughness, a middle yeah. linebacker, a guy who was like, brilliant, relentless. Everything that you ever wanted in that position was Junior Seau, and any chance I ever got to watch him, anything NFL films on him, I loved Junior Seau, and when he passed away, it was a, a crushing oh. day for everybody yeah. because of how he was, how much he was loved. But when he was at his best, he was as good as any player that has ever played the game. I think uh, he's, so. So he's number one for me. T- Ladainian Tomlinson has, has got to be on everyone's list for for. Like the best players, I don't know if he was ever my favorite because of Darren Sproles. I loved Darren Ooh, Sproles. Darren Sproles, right? I mean, Darren Darren Sproles was that's an when awesome he like player. got started. Yep. yep. Yeah, yeah. He was he was great. He was he's five foot six and extremely hard to tackle. And uh, for that era to be that change of pace back and the punt returner and all those things, 
I really enjoyed watching him play. And then sticking with the uh, the running backs, Nintrell Means. It's just, you know, what, what a monster. For, for just a little brief part of his career, but that 94-95 area... He was he was really excellent. And it's a fun team to go back through some of their great teams because you forget how good they were sometimes. They went to a Super Bowl, they beat Dan Marino in the AFC Championship, and that team from 1994 was super talented. And a lot of these guys just do not get their due. Remember Quentin Jammer, how good he yes. was? Yes. Eric Weddle, you're going to feel the same well, way about him, oh, right? Yeah. Somebody who's an amazing Sean player. Sean Merriman was... Dude, yeah, for, he, for that, he, he for, a minute, been, for a uh, minute. For a minute. For a hot minute. Yes. He could have been something. Ooh, buddy. Yes. Uh, Lights out. But the, the injuries certainly you know, yeah. took their toll on him. Um, and how about a franchise that had Drew Brees and then went to Phillip Rivers? <laughs> and, and, people, and, people forget that a lot. Yeah. They no, they do. They're they like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, and then his that? arm almost fell off, and yep. uh, the, the rest is history. And I will throw in a guy at the end of his career who played for the San Diego Chargers that uh, was very much loved in my hometown, which is Doug Flutie. Oh, like, did you love? Doug. Did you love Doug Flutie as much as I did growing dude, up? The sidearm? Are you serious? Come on! Dude. I know. Of course, I still to my son. I'm like, listen. The only person that could ever throw that is, is Doug Flutie. You can't throw that. <laughs> my son's always like, why can't I throw it like that? I'm like, listen, dude. You just don't want to do that, okay? You're not. You're not him. Don't try to be him. No, and your son will probably be six seven or something, dude, right? So Are you going to have these massive children? Probably. Tall and lean, and it's crazy. <laughs> Um, but you know his time in Buffalo kind of came to an end, unfortunately, where they just kept putting in Rob Johnson, and no one really understood why. Are you benching Doug Flutie? And he goes out to San Diego. Doesn't have a whole lot of success out there, as you might expect. But the fact that uh, you, you know he went out there and played for five more years or something, and he doesn't end up retiring till he's forty-three years old. Uh, he, no one will ever put him on an all-time San Diego Chargers list. But I think. I think he just looked cool as this little guy running around for the San Diego Chargers. Hey, the warm weather will bring you back, man. Saves years on your life. Yeah, that's true. I, I've been looking at uh, a lot of lists, and we didn't mention Dan Fouts. It's just before me. I don't really know what to do with that. Like, he's, <laughs> a, good, he's a good broadcaster. <laughs> that I'm wasn't sure was our great. era, though. So it's hard for us to be like, yeah, Dan deserves He right. definitely does, but we didn't really watch him play live. So it was like, do I really? Okay. Uh, Don Coriel, maybe? Okay. Joe Gibbs was an assistant with uh, the San Diego Chargers. Kellen Winslow Sr.? Yes. Now, he was fantastic. That dude was a baller. Yeah, I've always remember seeing the clips of him. Walk- they're holding him up where he's walking off the field. That was him, right? Kellen Winslow Sr.? Remember he like had cramps and dehydration yes, and he couldn't yes, move yes, and they're carrying yes, him. Yeah, they yes. remember that clip. Uh, yeah, they have such a great history, man. Like Sid Gilman going way back. Can you explain like the Air Coriel, like what that sort of is? I mean, no. I... I, okay, you can't. Um, but it's just amazing. Like, it comes up all the time, and like this is Air Coriel. And you're like, okay, what is that exactly? Because no, nobody really uses that in the NFL anymore. No. Where they're throwing deep. Maybe Bruce Arians? Oh, dude, Bruce Arians. He loves a deep ball. Yeah, no, he does. Uh, <sighs> and anybody. Antonio Gates is the other one that I can't forget. Did you? You played, I said that. You played against him. Oh, you did, oh, you did say him. Okay. We said him. Yeah, for oh, sure. Anyway. He, he goes hand-in-hand with dude, those, those out routes. Come on. And Now, let me connect this to their team now that the classic San Diego Los Angeles Chargers thing is to have a team that should have done more <laughs> right I mean, just like all the time they go 13 and 3 and like now nah, you're going to miss a field goal you wait um, just watch 
but this year, this team, you said it the other day, and we didn't get deep into it on Tuesday, but you are 10th in offensive yards and 4th in yards against, but have a 5-8 and eight record. This one, for a team that has a positive point differential, too, it just, it just kind of screams... Like, do not overlook this team. Like, maybe you overlooked Denver and got away with it, but if you overlook this Chargers team, you are not going to get away with it. No, and and like I said before, if you can get pressure on Phillip and give him to get one of these two, three interception days, dude, that's a different story, but you got to get there with him. And and he gets the ball out quick. He knows where he wants to go. He's obviously a seasoned veteran in this offense. He knows how to get there. And to me, that's what's the most dangerous. It's not the record. You're looking at this 5-8, and eight and you're like... I don't know, man. They're up and they're down. They're sporadic. They don't really deserve to be in the playoffs. So I get that. It's the leadership of Philip. What what what's going to show up that day? What defense is going to show up? Is Gus Bradley going to have his defense rolling? Is Joey Bosa going to have him rolling? Is Philip going to be on fire? You know, is Keenan Allen going to show up, or is it going to be Philip Rivers that just kind of chucks it downfield and is like, "Hey guys, listen, we got a couple more games and we're all out of here." You know, you just, right, right. You never know it because. When you're out of the playoffs, your mentality turns into such a weird mindset where you're like, well, we're playing for exactly nothing, (laughs) but we could still go out and ruin everybody's life. And that's what's so fun. And that's why this team, to me, is so much more dangerous. You get eliminated last week, so now all the pressure's off. So whatever's going to happen is going to happen. You have no more control. So you can either go out and keep fighting and show that you're tough and guys are going to have to be working for more contracts and there's certain guys like Melvin Gordon who are like, hey, man, I don't know what's going to be going on. But you got to go out and you got to show it. And now you could easily get punched in the mouth by this Vikings team, and it could just be a blowout. Yes. But I think that Phillip is going to do the best job he can of keeping his team in this game for as long as they can. Now, they have what I would always call like game game ruiners, guys that ruin your game plan. Oh, yeah. They have a quarterback who's good enough to ruin your defensive game plan. They have a receiver in Keenan Allen who's good enough to take out your top corner, whoever that might be on the Vikings at this point. And the guy I want to ask you about is Joey Bosa because he doesn't get a whole lot of pub, and it seems like his brother, Nick, has already gotten more since he's playing for a winning team. But Bosa has consistently been one of the best players in the league, and I noticed from watching a little bit of him and Melvin Ingram that sometimes in a big situation, they'll line them both up on the same side, which could be really terrifying for the Vikings if that side is over Riley Reef with the speed rusher Ingram, and then the more powerful guy is over Pat Elfline. This offensive line, Alex, we haven't talked about it a ton, but it has really turned itself around recently. I do think part of that is the amount of talent that they've been playing against with the Lions just felt like they didn't want to be there or get after Kirk. This group, I think, can get after Kirk. Absolutely. And this is a different group, man. This is a special group. You get Derwin James back, you can expect that now that they're out of it, I think they're going to be like, listen, because I've played in Gus Bradley's against his defenses, and... It is. There are levels and layers to his defense. Like not only can the front change a million different ways, but all of a sudden the linebackers start showing up on the ball, then safeties, and then you're like, man, everybody seems like they're just crowding us right now. And it's, you know, the big thing in that defense is don't get beat deep. So we're going to give everything up short, and then we're all just going to gang tackle them, and then we're going to be perfect tacklers. You know, that's another thing they strive in their defense is to be perfect tacklers. But this defensive front, when you're looking at it, when Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram, what if they were to put them over the center? And the guard and be like, hey, well, listen. Belichick did that last year with Trey Flowers. Right. Like, they, that's what's so fun is like, you get these defensive masterminds and they're like, why do I have to live within this box? Why don't I take this box and throw it out the window and I'll put my two best rushers over their two worst pass rushers, no matter where they are? 
And then I'll let him start twisting. Then I'll bring Derwin down. Then I'm going to let all these guys like Thomas Davis start getting involved. Like, dude, Thomas Davis, for as old as he is, is still playing with his hair on fire, which is incredible Yeah, to me. yeah, yeah. He's their leading tackler. Dude. Incredible! This is a guy that is so smart. Comes from a uh, Ron Rivera defense where he, you know, him and Luke Keekley just wreaked havoc. Well, now he's kind of the dude on the defense, not running the show. I still think he can put up some great, great defense. Uh, yeah, no, I, and and that's what they've done largely this year. And it's amazing to look down their wins and losses to see that they have beaten some good teams, including the Green Bay Packers, who they entirely shut down. And now they have Derwin James back. Derwin James last year was a game-changing player. He was the Jeez. Harrison Smith of the Los Angeles Chargers. And to have him out this year has been... And I think a huge factor now that he's back again, this is where you have to be concerned because there are very few players that the Vikings have gone up against recently where I've said in, in the secondary, you don't want to watch out for that guy. Darius Slay's a good cornerback. Stephon Diggs kind of owns him. So you weren't too concerned, but James can really change things. And if there's one area where you can get Kirk Cousins, it's if he doesn't know exactly where the reads are going to be when he snaps the ball. Like right. if he has to make that adjustment on the fly, and I think Aaron Rodgers kind of has this problem sometimes too and isn't as athletic as he used to be to make up for it. But that's the one, if you can make Kirk like double hitch, triple hitch, because he's not quite sure what you're doing yet, right. that's where the game can really change. Agreed. And then you put those pass rushers up in the middle and you force the middle of the pocket right down Kirk's face. Like That could be trouble all day. And that's that's a Gus Bradley defense. And, and, and it's You would see it every time you would play them. You would know right away who are they going to attack. They're going to attack the weakest link. And that's who they're going to go for this week. That's how Gus thinks and that's how the Seattle mindset has always been. We are going to exploit their weakness as much as we can and then we're going to have everybody just infiltrate. I mean, they're... They're so positive, too, and that's one thing that's so hard to defeat a defense like that is that they believe in themselves because their coach is constantly telling them how good they are, and you guys are great, and you're great tacklers, and even though their record's this, we're still great, and they believe that, so you have to overcome that with them as well. All right, let's take a break, Alex. Um, uh, We'll come back, and I want to ask you what we still need to learn about this team over these final three games, because I'm going to count Los Angeles as a a tough opponent. I'm going to say crazy tough opponent, but a tough opponent. And then we know that Green Bay and Chicago will not be easy. So what's left to learn and what do we think we know? We will talk about that when we come back. You're listening to Purple Daily, Matthew Collin, Alex Boone here on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster. To ride the never-ending sea of problems to solve the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business? Visit FederatedInsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Kirk Cousins talking to the media today and was asked what it'll be like having a full complement of weapons to use this weekend with the possible and looking more likely return of Adam Thielen this weekend. Here's what he said. Well, I'm excited. Uh, the only thing you're worried about is, hey, we've, we've got a good rhythm going. You know, it, it does feel different to, to when you have him back. You know, it, it has a different dynamic, and so you... You just, uh, you know, joke with him that, hey, don't rock the boat too much. You know, we've been doing pretty good. But uh, I would like to think that Adam Thielen is going to help our offense. And if nothing else, you know, the corners, the safeties, the linebackers, the defense, they have to 
honor the fact that he's on the field opposite Stefan Diggs. You have to, you know, cover and be aware of that many more people um, who have put good stuff on tape in the past. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily where caller is lucky. He's out in L.A. All right, live from Los Angeles, California, and I said it with happiness in my voice because I'm happy I'm out here in the sun. It's wonderful, and I'm sorry, all of you, that I keep rubbing it in your face, but I'm going to continue to do so. Matthew Collar, Alex Boone, back in cold Minnesota. Um, Alex, we talked a lot about you know the Los Angeles-San Diego Chargers. A lot of people weighed in on Twitter with some great names, including Alfred Papuno, who used to be their, their big, crazy fullback H-back, tight end guy. H-back. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I love uh, that. The H-back. The H-back, like, man. I love how people are like, what was that? You're like, what? Yeah, Dude, that's right. Way. Exactly. You're what not an that? old school exactly. fan. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Nate Kading got a few mentions here for his missed kicks. Poor Nate Kading, one of the great kickers ever, retires with one of the highest field goal percentages ever, and yet is known for his playoff meltdowns. It's very sad. That's what most players are known for, their playoff meltdowns. Yep, unfortunate. Well, you have to get there first, and the Vikings on their way, um, but they need to win, I think, at least two out of these three games, if not all three, depending on what Los Angeles does, because the way the Rams are playing, I'm not even counting out them beating San Francisco and winning all three games uh, at the, at the end of the, the year here, and if the Vikings lose one, then they're out of a playoff spot. Uh, let me ask you this before we get into what we still want to learn and what we know. I asked Judd the other day how he would feel about this season if the Vikings went 11-5, and which is the record you projected at the State Fair. Yep. Um, after buying us a bunch of cookies, you projected 11-5. and mm-hmm. And uh, Courtney, the same thing. I said 10-6. and So they would be right on par with our exp- uh, expectations. But if they went 11-5 and and missed the playoffs... What what kind of feeling would there be? Would we say, well, they did what they were supposed to do, and it's the playoff system, or would we say, look, that was the bar that was set, and you didn't reach it? The the latter. The bar is set every year. Whether you make that or not, you can't sit there and go, well, guys, we technically we had somewhat of a good record, right? Like that just doesn't fly because mm-hmm. you have to win the big one. That's what this game's all about. So, yeah, you're right. The NFC right now. Super competitive. And 12 and 4 is what's going to take to get you in. I think I'm with you. I think 11 and 5, you might be looking out of that dance. And no disrespect to any teams because I get it. Teams play as hard as they can, as long as they can, as fast as they can. But how the hell Dallas and the Eagles are still in this is almost pissing me off. And it pissed me off as a player because you're like, dude, we're pulling our end over here, and there's going to be a lot of teams that are not going to see this playoffs, and they're going to have a better record. They're going to be like, yo, dude, this is nonsense. Like, Owners are going to start coming down for real about this because you're looking at five, six teams at the top, and then there's just like two teams that are stuck in this middle tier, right? Like the Bears and, and, and Dallas and all them. And you're like, dude, if you're not going to have a winning record, how are you going to make it to the playoffs? Like, I know. That's not, and host that's not, the playoff game. That's not fair to some. That's not fair. That's complete nonsense. And I've always thought that that's been total nonsense. And, and the NFL doesn't seem to have any interest in changing it. And that's where I would sympathize with the Vikings if that happened. Now, like you said, they if they win all three, then they're in. And there's even a shot that Green Bay could fall apart. And you win the division. And you end up with a, a three seed. And you're hosting a playoff game. And everything is happy. But if you lose one of these two games and somehow you still end up out I, I would have a really tough time saying sorry Mike Zimmer you failed sorry Kirk you're you're still you know not the guy who can get the team anywhere when 
I mean, he won enough games to get you in the playoffs to have one of the best records. It's only this goofball system that has put you out of it. And and are we really going to look at a Dallas or Philadelphia who the Vikings took care of? Are we going to look at those teams and be like, oh, yeah, no, they deserve to be in the dance. They're definitely better than the Vikings. Of course I couldn't make that case. No, no, I'm not. Listen, I'm not saying that you need to turn around and be like, you guys suck, you didn't make it. I, I agree. It's a great record. And you did a, you had a fabulous year. It's just this year was really, really competitive. I mean, if you want to keep pace with the NFL and you, and you do, then you have to be one of these teams that sets the bar, not one of these people that's trying to reach yeah, the bar every it's year. True. I mean, it, everything aside, I mean, I want you to think about this and, and, and remember that this is a professional game. So you're a professional. You're expected to do things at a pro elite level every single game. If you can't make the playoffs, whatever your record is, 14 and 2 and you didn't make it, dude, the bar was set by another team and you didn't seize it. That falls on your team. Right. And I think a lot of people, they look back and they get a lot of criticism. People are like, man, that's not fair. It is fair. You're a pro. You're expected to take criticism. Now, whether you listen to it or not is your decision, right? I mean, some I know guys that were like, dude, whatever. I don't care what everybody else thinks. I get it. The bar was set by another team. We didn't match it. It's not good enough. It's never good enough unless you bring home the Lombardi. That's just the truth. Yeah, you didn't have to lose against Green Bay. You didn't have to lose against Chicago. So there will be places where we can go back and look and say, you were right there. You had the opportunity to be in the playoffs, and you didn't make it. But I, I still think that the Vikings will get there. They will make the playoffs. It would take a lot for Los Angeles to run the table here and I do think the Vikings are very capable of winning all three of these games. So let's just go on the assumption that they're in route. They're going to make the playoffs here. But um, what do we still need to learn here about this team? Because each week, you and I, through this entire season, have been going back and forth. And, and, and kind of a big theme is, hey, do we know what they really have here in this offense? Do they know what they have here in Kirk? Can he come through in the big moments? Do we do we know what they have here in this defense that keeps kind of getting torched a little bit by backup quarterbacks, uh, but still has the capability and the great players to rise up to the occasion if you need them to do so? I mean, I, I totally believe that with Hunter and Griffin and Kendricks and, and Harrison Smith, that they can rise up and slow down a good team at any time. So what do we still have to figure out here, Alex? I think that one of the big things is obviously, and it's you know obviously the lowest hanging fruit is the secondary. You're talking about teams that you're going to be playing some of the most elite quarterbacks, guys that are going to be like, dude, the window could be the size of a, a door handle, and I could get it done. Like that's what it takes for a quarterback to get you in the playoffs. They have to be able to know their windows. They have to be able to put the ball where they can put it. Kirk Cousins is phenomenal at this. I mean, look at the, look at the way this last week rolling out to his left could just put the ball where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. That is yeah. so perfect. Yeah. And he exposes so many secondaries to where you're like, wow. Like, look at the Broncos game. That, to me, was such a huge answer. And people were like, man, the defense looks rough, and the offense got punched in the mouth. You're right. But then Kirk went in at halftime, like you're supposed to do, and he was like, listen, this is what we need to do. We need to reconfigure this. And him and Stefanski did. And they were like, we're going to go kind of at a hurry-up pace a little bit, and we're going to move you all around. To me, that was the answer for the offense, because we had said that early in the year. What's going to happen if you don't have Dalvin? There's your answer. I liked it. I thought it was great. I think it keeps the offensive line balanced where they're not having to sit back there and just pass set the whole game. They can move around. They can make the defensive linemen move. It kind of distorts them because while there's all these moving parts, they're kind of out of breath. They're out of shape. They're not used to all this. So it's kind of like, okay, okay, I like that. The biggest question mark for me, and I asked Terrence, do you see this as an offensive team over a defensive? And his, his answer was great because it was – 
I see this as a competitive team. And he's right. When the offense is down, the defense is like, hey, we'll pick you up. When the defense is down, the offense goes, we're going to lift you up. That's what's so important about being a complete team. And they and they have it. But I really do worry about the secondary because the quarterbacks that you're talking about having to play are really good. And they know what they're doing. And if they can expose you or expose certain players, man, it could be a long day for the Vikings. So uh, right now they rank seventh in offense in terms of points for and seventh in defense points for. So it's a, it's a good uh, point, if you will, that Terrence makes that it, it can be either side of the ball, but either side could also cost you at any time. They're just good enough for us to say, okay, this offense should be great. You should be able to go to Green Bay in the playoffs and put up 28 points and win a game. Or this defense does have enough talent to slow down Aaron Rodgers or slow down Drew Brees to some extent to give you a chance to win. But we've also seen kind of enough holes here. And the the question I have and what I still want to learn is how will you handle with this offensive line Joey Bosa this week and then Kenny Clark and Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith next week and Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks in the final week of the season because those are superstars. This is not overpaid Trey Flowers or washed up Mike Daniels. Like this is the real although Daniels had a good game. But yeah. like this is the real deal though. I mean right. these these are the guys who will be in the Pro Bowl. These are the guys with the huge contracts, like the the money makers of the league and Zadarius Smith is second in the NFL in quarterback pressures this year and if Riley Reef and Pat Elfline especially and Garrett Bradbury, I think I kind of trust what Josh Klein is now and I think Brian O'Neill's had a very good season at right tackle. But there's still those questions from the center on left uh, for me and whether they can really slow down great players. And we've kind of gotten away from talking about it because the competition hasn't been as tough. They haven't faced as many teams that get after the passer the same way that these final three teams do. That's what I want to see because once you get to the playoffs, every one of those teams, aside from whoever wins the NFC East, uh, but everything else, everyone else has great players that you're going to have to stop and protect Kirk Cousins. Dude, imagine being a team in the NFC East and saying you didn't win it that year. Like, God, how bad could you have been <laughs> to not win the worst division in the NFL? Like, dude, you, yeah. y'all are bad. Yeah. Pat Shermer's going to be out. <laughs> poor, poor guy. Poor Pat. Ah, I love you, Pat, but... R.I.P. R.I.P. Big Dog. Now, listen, you can put Josh Klein in your category. I'll put him in mine. I think Brian O'Neill is the only one I'm like, listen, okay, I'm not even enough. worried. I'm not worried about Brian because that last game, you saw that first play, and I saw it too. When you get pushed back the first play like Big Dog, did you not know that the game was for real? Did you not know it was live? I did. They did. But Brian O'Neill to me is like, yo, he's the one that stood out all year. I think he's doing a great job. No matter what you're saying, I agree with you. I think these guys are dangerous. So you have to go into your offensive Rolodex and you say, how do we protect ourselves? Number one, play action. Has to be there because it allows for double teams naturally, right, to slow guys down and kind of sucks up the linebackers. Then all of a sudden everyone just drops. And all of a sudden the defensive lineman can't get going again because you've already made contact. Got to be able to play action. Got to be able to keep running the ball with Dalvin. I think Alexander Madison is such an amazing compliment to, to, to Dalvin. And people overlook him. I hear people like, hey, you know, he's okay. Dude, he is great. I've seen crappy running backs in this league. I see them <laughs> running into the backs of O-linemen. Like, you're like, uh-huh. dude, did you not see the 15-foot hole to the right? All right, well, the rest of us did. He can see that hole, and he's so gifted athletically. He runs just like Dalvin, which is so fun because 
there are times you're like, wait, is that Delvin or Alexander? I can't tell. I mean, the defense knows. They're like, dude, wh- they end this ball off. We better be ready for a downhill rushing extravaganza. <laughs> got to be able to keep doing that's that. A that's a t-shirt. Dude, that's so Downhill true, rushing extravaganza. Uh, <laughs> so I had this stat in an article that I posted today that Delvin Cook and Alexander Madison combine for the most 10-plus yard runs See? in the NFL of any duo. You're so welcome. The, the Vikings are very, very, very much at the top, and the trio in San Francisco is a little higher. But those two have been so dangerous, and that's the thing that I don't need to learn. Like I know that they're good in, in the backfield. Right. I do need to learn whether Delvin Cook is going to stay completely healthy because he's talking about like you. You mentioned the other day. I I, I know how to fall, and, and I'm learning how to fall. I'm like, no, what? That doesn't make any sense, especially if a fat guy falls on you. Right. <laughs> How are you going to hold up? And there was a moment where he kind of winced a little bit, and you just hold your breath because Madison is excellent, and I agree with you, but if you're asking him to handle the whole game, I think that's a little bit different, especially in pass pro compared to Delvin Cook. Agreed. I said a nice compliment, which is yes. it's hard because you look at some of these teams and there's just one guy. Look at Dallas. There's one guy. You know what I'm saying? Look at New York. There's one guy. And so it's like, okay, well, after him, what do you have? Nobody? Okay, so we'll just take out this one guy. Great. With this team, it's different. It's like, hey, you can take out the Golden Goose, but there's somebody right behind him that's going to bring the thunder, too. Like, mm-hmm. that's what's so fun about this. But, yeah, I mean, listen, going forward, this when we talked about how he said, you know, I know how to fall, there's so many people that probably believe that, too. Like, oh, he's got it, guys. He's good. <laughs> it's all set. You can't control when Eric Weddle's going to come downhill and just drop the hammer, dude. Like, that's just how the game is. So, yeah, there's always that question mark of, man, if he falls on that the wrong way, could that be bad for everybody? Yeah, but I have faith in Stefanski that he has an answer mm-hmm. built in. Hey, listen, if we are to lose, like like the feeling, we've lost one of our star players. We have answers. We know what we're doing. Now, is Thielen going to be back this week? Hopefully. Possibly. 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 I think that's going to be a big test, too, because to me, this defense doesn't want to get beat deep. And they're like, hey, listen, two guys out there that can beat us deep, that's a huge problem. One guy out there that can beat us deep, that's manageable. Then we just sick Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram in there, and we say, hey, listen, you just go do whatever you want to do. We just want to see a lot of blood. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) it just becomes, you know, Thomas Davis in the middle, like, yo, who really wants to run the ball today? Because I'm telling you, that dude is angrier than you know. He is like, (laughs) I remember playing him, and I was like, dude, you did not seem like this from watching film. He's like, that's right. I'm deceiving. I was like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? (laughs) Like, he's one of these guys, like, you're on the bottom of a pile. Dude, you better be ready for some hammers being dropped on your ribs. It's coming. Man. Yeah, he's, he's been it. around a really long time, and uh, oh, he's kind of an OG. So I, before we finish up, um, Alex, and then you have to go back to your frozen life in Minnesota. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. Thank you for that. Um, who's making the Pro Bowl from, from this team? So they were walking around the locker room today and uh, or the other day, and they were asking, hey, you know, can you vote for this guy for the Pro Bowl? Because players have a say in who makes the Pro Bowl, which I think is, I mean, it's tough because guys don't watch – tape of players they're not going to play, right? So they're not like, hold on, let me check out. We're not playing Cincinnati, but let me see if uh, my guy Tyler Boyd is playing pretty well this year. I mean, you know, whatever. There's no perfect system. But this Vikings team could make up half the NFC. I think that Kirk is absolutely worthy of being in the Pro Bowl. 
Diggs is. Delvin Cook should be a complete lock. And on the defensive side, you probably have, if Kendricks doesn't make it, I'll be really upset. Yeah. And because he is way up at the top of mm-hmm. your favorite website, Pro Football Focus, but also I test. I test as well. I test, um, sure. I test. Uh, and Daniel, Daniel, Daniel Hunter. Daniel lock. has to be. Lock. Right? Yep. Is there anybody else? <laughs> I want to say Harry. But I feel like as of lately, there's been a lot of flags thrown his way. And I don't know if that's the repeat offender problem. Could be. You know, like your name kind of gets thrown out there a couple times, so all of a sudden people remember you. So the minute they think they see something, they're like, wait, I remember he got called before. I got to throw this flag. You know, it's just I want Harry to get in because I think he's so valuable to this defense. Uh, If I were to say anybody else, I I mean – Kendricks for sure has to get in this year. I think he's playing at an yes. absolutely phenomenal level. Daniil's an absolute lock. Other than that, I mean, Ev, I could see Ev getting in. I mean, he's got eight sacks. I mean, it, it, like you said, it, it goes such to a these, stacked league at that position. Right, and, and that's what's so hard is like you're like, man, are the top four guys going to get all the votes and then the rest just kind of trickle down? You know, I mean, when you're talking about the players voting, that's exactly how it goes. Like you'll sit in a room and guys are like, listen, uh, do we need to pull up some film with some guys? Everybody's good? No, we're all good? All right, let's turn these in. Let's get the hell out of here. Like, Dude, I don't even care. I just want to go home. The, the 100 best players countdown best. is – that's even funnier because they'll, they'll give it to a practice squad guy. Like, are you tall and muscular? Like, it could be a trainer. Yes. And they'd be like, okay, can you vote for this? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, I don't even play for the team. I just do paperwork, but I'm shredded. Like, okay, just fill it out anyway. We'll say you're a player. I mean, I – I, I sat there next to a practice squad guy and saw him write all of his teammates down for the NFL Top 100. See? I'm like, yeah. come on, man, this isn't legit. Uh, I will give you one more that a guy that, uh, as a former player, I'm sure you would tell me there's good reason we never talk about, uh, but has been excellent this year, and that's Dan Bailey. He's 18 for 20 on his field goals. He's hit almost every one of his extra points. He has been I don't want to say a game changer, but I mean, remember what it was like last year, shanking field goals and never being sure yep. when the guy goes out there if he's going to make it or not. It gets it gets very hairy and uncomfortable at that point. And he just the other day, fifty yard field goal, all right, just knock it down. He's been excellent. I agree. And dude, look around the league. We've talked about this. How these kickers have been pissing us off. And yeah, like they've been costing terrible. Eddie Pinheiro, Like this whole drama going on with Chicago is incredible. Like, I, when was the last time you remembered a kicker's name from another team? And now you're like <laughs> Eddie Pinheiro, oh, the guy from Chicago that everyone talks about and rags on. Yeah, I totally know who that is. Aside uh, from playing Madden and trying to get the guy with 99 power. Yeah, I mean, dude. That, yeah. Listen, uh, aside from getting Justin Tucker on your team, who yeah. is probably the best kicker maybe ever. I think I mean, ever. Yeah. The dude's incredible. I agree with you. I think that Dan, I mean, he, he's had a great year. And for a, a for a league of kickers that, for whatever reason, over the last five years have just become such a mental drain. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys miss one, and you're like, okay, cut them now. Just get rid of them. I'm not, I, I think that's what it is. It's I, not, I think it's that true. they know they're getting cut. All, yeah. Older kickers would not cut like this. That's, But it's because... <laughs> Times change, man. Fans yeah. are crazier, yeah. and they're like, "Listen, dude. Every look at, we're about to be eleven and five, and be like, you might not be in the playoffs." That was our. That's what we're saying. I mean, talk about a great season that you're like, "Boy, I am biting my nails right now." We're eleven and five, and you would have thought we'd have been in third place, but we are not even close to the top. And it's because your kicker missed three field goals that cost you two games. Yeah, and you're happens. like, yep. you're like, dude, are you serious? You just put it through the goal. It's not even hard. <laughs> you had one job. Hey, can you do it? Can you kick field goals? Oh, yeah. I dude, know some players can. I can kick for sure. I could spin it and kick it. Dude, I am an athlete. <laughs>
Don't uh, let me fool you. One of the best videos that NFL films ever did was Vince Wilfork kicking like a 35-yard field goal. Dude, Nailed Vince it. was the man. Yeah. Great um, dude. Before we uh, wrap it up here for the hour, Alex, you think uh, you're picking the Vikings here? I, I like him. I do. I think Kirk is the, you know, he's going to be the special X factor out there. I think that even though these guys are going to be coming for him, I think he's going to get the ball out of his hands quick. I think that Stefanski's going to have an answer. And, and I think that Daniil Hunter is on, a, is on the rise right now, and I think they're yeah. going to have a tough time stopping him. I mean, dude, three sacks, and I know it's Detroit, but dude, to just manhandle some of the... And the way he manhandled that quarterback, I mean, you're like, dude, that guy is a man-child. He's so strong. But And another thing, congratulations to him on getting a 50, being the youngest to do it. That's, mm-hmm. that's an incredible feat. I think a... You know, to, that says a lot about what a player you are. They uh, they don't have those when you're playing at Purdue. They no. don't have Daniil Hunter coming after you. So no, no, they didn't. Um, always a fun time, Alex. Thank you uh, very much for your time, as always. Uh, when we come back, we're going to have Chad Graff from The Athletic also connect with Derek Klassen, who studies quarterbacks for football outsiders. So lots of still uh, good stuff to come. Alex, thanks for your time, man. Always a pleasure. Enjoy the sun. Appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, we'll be right back here. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Hour number two, Matthew Collar, Purple Daily here on Score North. And a reminder, if you missed any of our first hour with Alex Boone or our conversation with Terrence Newman earlier in the week, make sure you go to wherever you find your podcast. Just type in Purple Daily, give a review, leave some five stars if you can. Uh, Much appreciated. That helps other people find the show. So before we get to Derek Klassen of Football Outsiders, we're going to talk all quarterbacks all the time with Derek, who breaks them down for football outsiders just wanted to take a quick look at an article from bill barnwell of espn who wrote uh, ranking the best to worst coaching openings and i think this is going to be relevant for kevin stefanski i mean it's not a deadlock that kevin stefanski gets a head coaching job but with the vikings being one of the best offenses in the nfl the improvements that they've made this year and the fact that stefanski was very close to getting a head coaching job last year i think he's got a really great shot at ending up somewhere else next year as the head guy so i wanted to take a look at this he counted down nine openings he thinks are going to be there this year and uh, who, uh, which ones might be the best if you are a head coaching candidate. So the, the worst, and I agree with him, is Washington on this list of the nine. It's ninth out of nine. And uh, I think if you're Kevin Stefanski and it's between coming back to the Minnesota Vikings and going to coach Washington, you come back to the Vikings. And I totally agree with Bill Barnwell here. The biggest weakness is ownership. And when you have ownership that meddles in everything that you're going to do, you don't have a whole lot of talent there. You have a quarterback that you have to take over in Dwayne Haskins, and you know that since they drafted him, they're going to stick with him 
longer. They're not going to listen to you as a head coach. I totally agree that Washington is the job you want to stay away from. That seems like a one-and-done type of possibility. You don't want that one. But as, as I scroll down the list, the New York Giants are obviously on it, and of course it runs through my mind that if Kevin Stefanski leaves, it would make sense for Pat Shermer to come back. But I'm not sure it's the eighth worst out of nine jobs. Again, you have to inherit the quarterback, and we don't know if Daniel Jones is good or not. I've seen some good signs from him, seen some bad signs from him, and a lot of NFL quarterbacks are poor in their first year and take a big jump the second year. We saw that from Carson Wentz, for example, and a a number of guys throughout the past few years. So maybe if Kevin Stefanski liked what he saw from Daniel Jones, he would be interested in the Giants job, but they just don't have a lot of talent in a lot of other places, and they have a general manager who is a goofball and seems to make the worst possible decisions, like trading a pretty high draft pick for Leonard Williams, who's just not a really good player, and they didn't have him under contract. A very very bizarre moves, spending such an insanely high draft pick on a running back, which at this point has been proven over and over again to just not work. So I, I guess I do get it, that they're eighth out of nine, in part because the roster just does not have a whole heck of a lot of talent. They moved on from their most talented player in Odell Beckham, didn't get a whole lot back, as we've seen from this year. So poor Pat Shermer. I, I don't think he's a great head coach. Clearly he wasn't going to take a five-win team and turn them into a ten-win team. Uh, it, it looks more like he turned them into a three-win team, unfortunately, for Pat. Uh, but he is one of the great offensive minds in the league, and he'll get an offensive coordinator job after this, and we'll probably see his offense overperforming again, uh, just like we did in 2017. Uh, Jets' job is number seven on Bill Barnwell's list. Adam Gase, nobody deserves to be gone more than him, except for maybe Matt Patricia in Detroit. And uh, that's a tough one because Sam Darnold, another very talented young quarterback, but we haven't really seen it on a consistent basis yet. They don't have a ton of talent there around him. They spent a a crazy, insane amount of money on a running back on Le'Veon Bell. It's almost like you are waving the flag that you don't know what you're doing when you draft a running back super high or you spend a lot of money on a running back who's 27 years old and sat out the entire year. Uh, Jacksonville is a tough one because you don't know what you're doing at quarterback and you're not going to have a high enough draft pick to draft Tua Tugaviola if he comes out or, of course, uh, Joe Burrow at the very top. And you're kind of stuck with Nick Foles or Gardner Minshew, which I wouldn't really want either one of those options. So just to to keep running down the list here, Cleveland is fifth. I wouldn't be surprised if they call Kevin Stefanski back. I think that that is an attractive job based on the amount of talent there. But if Odell Beckham is trying to force his way out, their ownership isn't very good. And it is kind of just a cursed franchise in general, right? Uh, Number four on Barnwell's list is Detroit. Um, yeah, that one, the fact that, you know, you have Matt Stafford and you probably could win right away. Uh, if you got somebody who was a good defensive coordinator, you could be highly competitive if you're Kevin Stefanski. I, I kind of like that job. I think that they have the talent, but not the coach. The Falcons are a tough situation because when Pat Shermer went to New York, he inherited old Eli. Well, whoever goes to Atlanta is going to be inheriting old Matt Ryan. And I think he's still a good quarterback, but he definitely isn't what he used to be. And uh, that that might be tough. You got good ownership there, but if you're talking about taking a guy who's going to be 36, 37, 38 years old in the twilight of his career, that's pretty hard to win with. Carolina, if they bring back Cam Newton and he's 100% healthy, would be uh, a very good job for Kevin Stefanski. It seems like they want to be analytics, forward uh, thinking, and all that sort of stuff. 
Um, but if they don't, then who's the quarterback? Because I think it, we've seen that Kyle Allen, in a larger sample, is not that guy. And number one on Barnwell's list is just not really applicable to Kevin Stefanski. That is the Dallas Cowboys opening, which I agree is a great opening based on talent, but how much is Jerry Jones still going to be involved? I would want to ask that question. I do think that they're going to fire Jason Garrett, hire a huge name. It's not going to be someone like Kevin Stefanski. So if you're putting odds on it for Stefanski, I would say the top jobs would all kind of apply to him. The The Carolina Panthers would make a ton of sense. Atlanta as well to try to get the most out of uh, late Matt Ryan in his career and the Detroit Lions. Uh, I'm sure if it's in the division, that's not going to make any difference to him, right? Um, but uh, the, a, a Lions team that's talented and just simply underperforming, that's one you want to take over so you look really good compared to the last guy. All right, all right, let's get to our interview here. Derek Klassen, he does the film room for Football Outsiders, one of my favorite followers on Twitter and one of the best Twitter names at QB Class, but it is K-L-A-S-S, a play on his name. So, Derek, how are you? I'm doing great today. How are you? I am doing really well. So you focus a lot on quarterbacks with your film studies and love looking at your work. So I want to focus entirely on quarterbacks here, starting with, no surprise I'm sure to you, Kirk Cousins. And and when I've looked at this year from Kirk Cousins, Derek, it's easily been his best statistically, whether you're looking at his pro football-focused numbers or whether you're looking at the traditional stats. And I connect it to finally having the combination of a bunch of weapons and the exact right play caller and scheme for Kirk Cousins. And I think, Derek, that it says a lot about quarterbacks in the NFL, where one year, if you've got the wrong scheme and maybe not enough weapons, you can look like a pretty mediocre quarterback, and then the next year, you can look like a a borderline MVP candidate, which is the way Kirk Cousins is playing. So what have you made of his success this year? I think it's exactly that, where I, I think the general talent of a quarterback kind of sets the floor for what they're able to be. And then all of the other factors, whether it's uh, coaching, offensive line, uh, wide receiver talent, um, how well their defense can kind of keep them in games, I think all that other stuff kind of allows them to get to whatever it is that their ceiling is. And I think, like you mentioned, especially in Minnesota, it seems like the Vikings pretty much have everything that they could ask for to set up Kurt Cousins for that type of success. He has really good high-end receivers. Uh, the offensive line is, at the very least, better than it was last year. The running game is fantastic. The defense is playing well. I mean, I think Kirk Cousins has just about everything that he could ask for to be able to play out a fairly mellow game plan that just asks him to do a lot of play action, not a ton of, you know, being the guy who has to go through four reads on a traditional drop back. I don't think that's what he wants to do mm-hmm. because Kirk Cousins, at his best, is just an extremely accurate passer who is going to make the throw that you designed for him, which seems like like no duh, like that's what a quarterback wants to do. But if you're making it very clear where he needs to go with the ball, he's very accurate. And if you have the protection for that and if you have receivers who are going to get open – He's one of the handful of guys who's probably going to capitalize on that best. So, Derek, this is what keeps going through my mind as I think about this Vikings team down the stretch. And the playoffs at this point are no guarantee. But for Kirk Cousins to make a splash and prove that he's one of the top quarterbacks in the league, he has to get to the playoffs and he has to win. Because that's 
sports, right? I mean, sometimes we get in analytics so deep into the, like, well, if you look at this number or that number, he's actually great. Um, but one thing that Cousins hasn't done is, is one. And he has had a lot of good teams during his career. I would even say last year the Vikings were a good team with a top defense, and they couldn't get it done when the moment was the biggest. Um, but I wonder how quarterbacks where they just have to operate the scheme in order to be successful. And I'm thinking of Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm thinking of Jared Goff. They're all very good. They're all very accurate. But they don't have the exceptional playmaking ability of some of the other quarterbacks we're seeing, I guess, rise to prominence, especially this year. What do you make of how that will play out when the Vikings have to face multiple great teams in order to get where they want to go? You know, I think what you mentioned with with a guy like Kirk Cousins not being able to have that kind of playmaking making ability, I think it just makes your offense. You, you don't really have that that. Um, I mean, volatility is probably not the right word, but you don't necessarily have the same highs that a lot of other offenses are going to get. When you get into a playoff situation where you're obviously facing other great teams, you kind of need to be able to hit that extra gear that's not. You know, it's not anything scheme related. It's just you kind of have an extra ability to do something that's indefensible, like, you know, Deshaun Watson or Lamar Jackson or Russell Wilson or whatever. And Kurt just doesn't really have that. Um, I think like we mentioned earlier with all the other great pieces they have with this offense, and it seems like they just have the perfect ecosystem. I, I think this is probably his best opportunity ever to not even necessarily need all that playmaking so long as he can just operate the system the way that he's been doing it. Um, I think the most interesting thing with the playoffs is that if you watch the playoffs, especially this is something Bill Belichick does a lot, is cornerbacks can kind of get away with being a lot more aggressive at the line um, in the playoffs. And so that might, you know, depending on the matchup that they get, that might force Kirk Cousins to hold the ball a smidgen longer than he wants to to allow his guys to get open versus press. And so I think that's probably the thing to look for most. And like I said, that's, that's going to kind of depend on matchups, so maybe they can skip past that. But um, if they end up in a matchup like that, I think that's probably where he's going to have his most trouble. Now, of course, they have to get to the playoffs first, and that means two quarterbacks who have a great chance to go to the Hall of Fame. Uh, one is guaranteed, Philip Rivers, we'll see, and then Mitch Trubisky. I want to go in reverse order with <laughs> you, looking at these three guys, because that Week 17 game, just knowing Vikings history, Derek, it screams, that's going to matter. <laughs> because it just, last year we were in the same spot where we were saying, oh, the Vikings just have to cruise through, and the Bears won't be playing anybody Week 17, they'll take care of that, and um, they didn't. Uh, so, Mitch Trubisky, back Superstar? What's what's going on here? Uh, all of a sudden, he's running now again. Is Mitch Trubisky any better than he was a few weeks ago when uh, everyone wanted him benched, including me? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I think it's just kind of like a variance thing, right? Like he had to have a couple of decent games eventually, right? Like there was no way he was going to uh, just be the worst quarterback in the league for the entire season. Um, and he, he finally got his couple of decent good games against some bad defenses. I mean, Josh Allen tore up the same defense, so like it's, right. it's, it's the same Cowboys defense, so that doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. But um, I do think there is a little bit of like the, the Bears have kind of finally found a little bit of a groove, and I think Trubisky looks a little bit healthier now than he did earlier in the season. Earlier in the season, he looked... Everything just looked so lethargic and slow and kind of like he was, he was lumbering to do anything. And I think that has gone away a little bit and that's helped. But, um, 
you know, we've talked before. I don't, I don't think Mitchell Trubisky is a very good quarterback anyway. So even if he's better, he's still not good. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I agree. But the only thing that would concern me if I'm the Vikings is seeing him run a little bit more because in two games where he wasn't hurt. And then of course they lost to Chase Daniel, but, um, he found ways on third and seven to run for eight a, a, a number of times. And that was just enough considering they had a good defense. I'm not trying to make a case. Um, but I have been thinking, about Trubisky, if you're a Vikings fan, and of course this doesn't apply to Week 17, I think you root for Mitch Trubisky to play really well these next couple of weeks, and for the Bears front office to go, see, see, we fixed it, that was the problem, and now it's all taken care of. If you're a Vikings fan, I think you want Mitch Trubisky to remain in the division for a long time. Oh, absolutely. If you if you force them to, to think about actually having to pick up his, his fifth-year option, I mean, I think that's what everybody in the NFC North wants um, outside of Chicago. I don't think you want him to tank for these next few weeks, and then Chicago can kind of be like, well, you know, we like our head coach. Maybe we can hit the reset button on quarterback, give him his own guy. I think if you have him play well um, and then, yeah, force him to pick up the option, that's that's going to be – um, a nice little Christmas present for the rest of the NFC North. <laughs> uh, talking with Derek Klassen, he writes uh, the film room for Football Outsiders, also does college football analysis for Roto World Draft. Um, uh, okay, let's now go to Aaron Rodgers. The joke on the show all year long has been Rodgers is washed. And uh, what it really means is not that he can't play football anymore, but Derek, I just don't see the same guy that was there years ago. And it, not just based on some of the bad games, but even the good games where it seems like, yeah, you know, he makes some good throws still. He makes some wild throws still, but the athleticism just isn't the same. His ability to move around and extend plays and break a tackle if he needs to. I just don't see that same thing with Rodgers. So how dangerous is he as a quarterback now compared to, I guess, the, the best in the NFL? You know, you're right. He's definitely not the guy that he was in, you know, 2011 or whatever that year was where he just went insane and won MVP. I don't think he's that guy. He's never going to be that particular guy again. I think he still generally plays very much the same way. He just, the arm strength is slightly sap. Um, like you mentioned, he's not quite as mobile as he used to be, especially after some of the injuries in like 2017, I believe. So, um, he's definitely lost a little bit of his playmaking. And when you take a little bit away from his playmaking and you add it onto a play style that he's not volatile in the sense that he throws a lot of interceptions. He obviously does the complete opposite where he throws like zero, but he likes to break the structure of the play a lot. And when you don't necessarily have the physical tools to do that and you have a pretty bad wide receiver core that doesn't really make up the gap anywhere, um, it can lead to some of these games where he ends up with 5.9 yards per attempt because <laughs> yeah. he's consistently breaking um, the structure, which has worked for him for a decade, and then all of a sudden it's just not all the right pieces are there anymore. So I think that's kind of where they're at. I think it's just a mix of he's still trying to play the same way that he always did, and he doesn't quite have the same tools that he used to for it, and nobody on the roster can really – help make up the gap for him you know i look at that um, at that lack of interceptions is kind of a bad thing i mean there are some times where he has someone but it would take a little bit of a risky throw and it, and it seems like rogers just doesn't want that on his box score i mean i i, I don't know maybe that's a, a a tough accusation for a quarterback who's trying to win games but sometimes you get that feeling like is it does he 
Does he not want to take any shots into coverage uh, or, or whatever, things like that, that might cause him to throw an interception because he doesn't want an interception on his stat sheet? Um, I, I get where people are coming from with that, but personally I think that's not really the case. I, I don't remember exactly where he sits in this, but I know in next-gen uh, next gen stats is like, I think they call it aggression percentage, yeah, where yeah. Uh, how how consistently you're throwing into tight windows. I'm pretty sure he actually has higher numbers than like Patrick Mahomes. Hmm. Um, he's just it's just that he just he doesn't make those like egregious errors or like super tight windows where he's throwing into like double coverage or anything insane. Which to your point, maybe sometimes you do need to do that. Um, you know, especially like in the fourth quarter when you're trying to either break a tie game or. Um, come back from a small lead or, or, you know, from a small deficit or something like that. I do think there are instances where he does play those a little bit too, uh, a little bit too conservative, but I think generally he's just, I think he's just so perfectly understood the line of when and when not to be aggressive that he really takes zero unnecessary risks, whereas even some of the other best quarterbacks like Russell Wilson or Patrick Mahomes, even they still take unnecessary risks at times, and sometimes it works out for them because they're incredibly talented, um, and sometimes it doesn't. So is washed not fair then? Uh, well, I, I think if we were saying washed as in he's not Patrick Mahomes territory anymore, mm-hmm. I, I think he's you know washed in that sense. But I think if I were to run through uh, rankings of the top quarterbacks, he would probably still end up somewhere like seven or eight for me, which is still, I think, plenty good enough to do whatever it is that you're trying to do in this league. Yeah, so kind of like half-washed. I mean, it's it's obviously a joke because he still has great numbers and things like that, but when you compare you know, your yards per attempt, net yards per attempt, and things like that, it just doesn't come out as far ahead as he used to where you said, alright, this these are impossible numbers to reach, and he was making freakish throws each week. I just don't see that anymore, and it makes me think, Derek, that if the Vikings were looking at all the teams in the NFC. Obviously, this does not include Dallas because everyone in the world would want to play Dallas in the playoffs. But I would say (laughs) going to Lambeau or playing the Packers would be the the matchup you would want against Rodgers, which sounds weird, but Breeze just put up, what, 46 points against San Francisco last week, and you know Garoppolo's playing really well, but that defense is excellent. I I, I feel like you'd want to play the Packers right now if you're going into the playoffs. I think you're right. And because, you know, I think the Packers are a perfect example of the opposite end of what we were talking about with Cousins, where they've so perfectly found a way to get to Cousins' ceiling. I think the Packers are kind of in the opposite situation where they don't really have anything that can set up Rodgers to get to his ceiling. Um, he's just such a talented quarterback that this is kind of where their floor is. Um, and they're kind of stuck at their floor, it seems. And I don't know if they're ever going to get to their ceiling this year. Um, and then their defense has also gotten like progressively worse as the season has gone on. Um, and they like to blitz a lot and they don't really have the talent to consistently make it work. And so I think you're right. Outside of Dallas, uh, I think if you can get Green Bay, that's probably the matchup you're looking for. Well, let's talk about the matchup for this week. Phillip Rivers has the most hilarious throwing motion of all time. And yet he still seems, as we saw last week against Jacksonville, to have those flashes where he looks like a great quarterback again. Uh, I've been saying, Derek, do not take this Chargers team lightly. They lose every game by three or seven points in some sort of bizarre fashion. But the Vikings also have a long history of losing games in bizarre fashion. So 
I mean, I, I think with him, they're still a pretty dangerous offense and have a, a good amount of weapons. What have you made of very much washed Phillip Rivers? No, I think that's a, it's such a Charger season for that particular reason. <laughs> yes. that they can't seem to win games, but they're a very competitive team, and they're constantly in these games. They're not just like some some pushover team. I think, I mean, they're obviously not great. If they were great, they they would be somehow winning some of these games. But um, I think you're right. They're absolutely a competitive team. I think Rivers is a Hall of Fame quarterback who, even if he's not as great right now as he used to be, um, he can still have some of those super hot games. And, uh, I mean, you have other dangerous players on the offense like Austin Eckler. I guess uh, the saving grace for the Vikings is that uh, they have a pretty good pass rush, and I'm pretty sure Sam Tevy hates Phillip Rivers and the rest of the offensive line hates <laughs> Phillip Rivers. So <laughs> I think they should be able to uh, get by through that. Um, but no, you're right. This Chargers team is, is, I think, better than their record. I don't implies re- that they are. I don't remember any time in in my lifetime where the Chargers have had a good offensive line. I, I just, no, it seems they, like they it's haven't. always a or conversation. <laughs> yeah, now that's for sure. Uh, everybody who follows that quack doctor who tries to <laughs> write about injuries from his TV is is always my favorite. Like Google that guy, but uh, that that's another story. Last thing before I let you go, Derek. Always great stuff having you on. Um, just. I want, I want you to tell me through your eyes as a lover of quarterback film and, and you do all these great breakdowns and things like that, seeing Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson, guys like that who are running quarterbacks and, uh, well, I mean, I wouldn't say entirely Watson is as much, but these mobile quarterbacks, great athletes, uh, have as much success as they have in the league now. And Lamar Jackson has a great chance at winning the MVP. What does it mean for the future of quarterback play that we've seen this year out of Lamar Jackson? Oh, I think it's huge. Not even just for um, you know quarterbacks who are like these guys that are going to start to get more chances, and you know maybe they didn't 10, 15 years ago. I think even just beyond that, I think it's changing the way that defenses have to play the game. I think uh, you, like, especially if you run man coverage against these guys, which we've always known, like, running man coverage against mobile quarterbacks is dangerous. But against, like, Lamar Jackson in particular, I think the average is, like, teams run 10 to 12% or something like that, less man coverage against Jackson than they would normally. And so stuff like that I think is is really interesting. I think you're going to have to start being a little bit more creative with your zone coverages. Um, and if you watch a lot of these guys, um, and I think this is something that's really prevalent, prevalent at the college level too, is having, you know, what, what at least what I call is like apex defenders. Like if you watch Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker safety guy at Clemson, he kind of plays like a nickel corner, but he kind of plays like a linebacker. He mm. plays like in, in the midpoint between the slot and the, the formation. And I think you're going to start seeing a lot of those guys kind of crop up in the league as an answer to these mobile quarterbacks who can, um, you know, both threaten the box and threaten outside. I think that's going to kind of be the answer to these style of offenses. So I think that type of quarterback is breeding that type of defender and that constant back and forth in football, I think is is super interesting. No, you're right. It's one of my favorite things in football is how offenses find new answers and then defenses find solutions and we move on and on. And uh, I also think, Derek, that at some point here, 
in uh, the next few years, these teams will finally get it. Like the guy, the guy who drops for some bizarre reason, you probably should just take him. I mean, L- Lamar not running the 40, should be a wide receiver, all this sort of stuff. I mean, you knew it was bogus at the time. I knew it was bogus at the time going into the draft. There's going to be concerns about every quarterback, but it, it's amazing how often we get, well, Deshaun Watson didn't throw hard enough at the combine, and, and we get Russell Wilson's too short. Or I, I almost think that Kyler Murray being drafted number one was a step in the right direction because he is too short, and, and, he, and he played in an offense that did make things really easy on him in college. And yet they took him number one and he looks like he's going to be a franchise quarterback too. So maybe we're going in the right direction there. I'm hoping so. Cause like you mentioned, yeah, a lot, a lot of the concerns with some of these guys that are now superstars have always been kind of like benign. Like even with Patrick Mahomes, the, the worry was always like, Oh, the offense is so different than what he's going to see in the NFL. And I think to some extent that was true. Um, at least with right respect to the way that their protections worked and constantly being in five wide, which you can't really do in the NFL, but they ran a lot of NFL concepts. I mean, heck, his coach is an NFL head coach now. Like, right. I think it was more of a pro offense than people, than people thought, but we just saw air raid and we're like, well, maybe he, he doesn't deserve to go number one overall or whatever because, because of that, instead of whether it was, you know, some accuracy issues he had in college. It's always something not really related to how they play the game. <laughs> well, Derek, speaking of things that uh, will always exist is intrigue with quarterbacks, and you break them down as well as anyone. Follow him on Twitter at QBKLASS, QB class, and Football Outsiders. Also some draft stuff at Roto World. Soon on that. Not yet. You can't get me to talk about draft yet, but we'll get there uh, eventually. I, sometimes I'll get tweets of people who'll say, do you think the Vikings should look at this guy in the draft? Like, okay, let, let my head stop spinning from uh, breaking down Detroit tape, um, and then we'll look at that someday. So anyway, uh, great stuff. Make sure you follow Derek and follow his work at Football Outsiders. And uh, Derek, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, I appreciate all that. Thanks for having me on. Okay, we'll take a quick break. We will come right back, and we will talk with Chad Graff of The Athletic. When we return, you're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download. A reminder the Score North that Score North has already run contests for up to fifty thousand dollars in cash, and we're regularly giving away tickets to local games, gift cards to local restaurants, and much, much more. But in order to reap these rewards, you must have the Score North mobile app available for free in the Apple or Google Play stores. Kirk Cousins speaking to the media today talked about what he respects in Philip Rivers' game, saying... Yeah, it'd be a long list. I mean, you start 200 straight games, you got my respect. Uh, you play for one team for 16 years, you got my respect. You're a husband and then a dad of nine kids, you got my respect. You know, you, you, you go to the Pro Bowls he's been to, you've won the playoff games. He's won, I think he played in one on a torn ACL. Um, you know, it's a long list of reasons that uh, he set the bar high, and I think... Uh, you know he does it. He does it the right way, but he also plays. Um, he's a pop passer. He's not somebody uh, who's gonna, you know, beat you with his legs per se. So he's gonna have to do it with his mind, with his accuracy, with his decision making, both pre-snap and post-snap, uh, and and you know, with the arm talent. And I think those are things that I've tried to, you know, have in my game and say, okay, how can I play like a Philip Rivers and beat you with my mind and pre and post snap uh, decision making and then with arm talent um, and so he's a fun guy to watch that's been your score on our download now back to Purple Daily 
All right, now we welcome into the show Chad Graff from The Athletic. What is going on, Chad? Oh, not a whole lot. Just enjoying L.A. week for the last road game of the year. I know, not bad, right? Like We, we could do worse for places to go at the uh, end of the season when it is, oh, I don't know, zero in Minnesota. Not to rub it in, but the December travel, the fact that you know the game is Los Angeles and not Green Bay, uh, you know, perhaps I'll be biting my tongue in a few weeks when the Vikings perhaps are headed to Lambeau Field for an early January game. But hey, for now, I'll relish the time uh, headed out toward the beach. Okay, can we talk about that for a second? In terms of trips for us, for yep. where to go, Lambeau has to be dead last on all of our lists because we go there every year. Right. And it's it would be cool. It would be extremely football for it to be the frozen tundra to be Lambo in December uh, or in January. You could talk me into it just based on like its football merits. But if you're comparing that to going to New Orleans, which would just be cool for a road trip for Vikings fans, us to make. Uh, I have actually never been to the Superdome, so I would, lo- I. Yep. I would lo- I'd love to go see that. San Francisco would be kind of interesting. Uh, another nice trip to take and uh, maybe a, the toughest team possibly to face there. But in terms of your in terms of your road trip, unfortunately, I think Lambeau ranks last. Well, and I have said it's nice that they've played the Green Bay Packers in Green Bay week two the last two years because, hey, we can drive. You don't have to worry about snow drifts. The wind's not terrible. The drive back is... Not my favorite drive in the world, no. but hey, uh, it, it's week two and it's warm. But at the same time, like I've never experienced Lambeau when it is cold and frozen. And so while I don't want to go in December or January, I feel like that is sort of a bucket list thing that if you're a football writer, you should see a game at the frozen tundra, not the you know decently nice out uh, Lambeau Okay, that's a, that's a good point. The only time I went down there when it was cold was, uh, I believe, Brett Hundley starting that game <laughs> and not Aaron Rodgers, and that's a night so a that I will... So better quarterback. Yeah. Oh, got him. Uh, that is a night that I'll never get back of my life, of watching Brett yeah. Hundley throw I think two picks to Harrison Smith and just be a generally awful quarterback. And even that night, the, it was so cold out that Case Keenum couldn't throw the ball really, and the long snapper got hurt. That was the most interesting thing that happened in that game in 2017 if we were talking about cousins and rogers and playoffs at lambeau all right you could talk me into it but like you said that drive back in the middle of the night when it's there's deer jumping out from everywhere and you add some snow to that it could maybe not be fun though i think if you're the vikings and you just look at the general strength of the other teams that will be in the playoffs you probably would be rooting for a matchup in Green Bay, assuming that you can't get the U.S. Bank Stadium. That trumps everything. You would play anybody here before you'd go on the road anywhere. But I think the Packers are the weakest team in the playoffs, not from the NFC East. Frankly, I don't even think it's that close. Like, Assuming you can't go to Dallas or Philly and, and beat whichever garbage team comes out from there, then... It's Green Bay, I think, by a mile that you want to play. I know that you know some fans might be a little scarred or not want to welcome that rivalry, but the Saints are really, really good. The 49ers are really, really good. The 49ers not only have a very good defense, but I, you know, with, with what Shanahan is doing, 
I haven't always been a Jimmy G believer, but this season they're doing enough. They're sort of, you know, their offense has been a little bit similar to the Vikings is, although Shanahan, you know, for his offensive mind, I'd take him, you know, for sure in the top five of offensive oh, yeah. coaches. Totally agree. And that's a matchup that you don't want right now with this Vikings defense that while still having all of the playmakers that it has is really not playing like you would expect a Viking Stevens to play. So then if your options are Drew Brees and that offense that just put up 40-plus or Jimmy G who just threw over four touchdowns against one of the best offensive minds or an aging, perhaps slowing Aaron Rodgers, an offense that did nothing in Los Angeles against the Chargers that the Vikings are going to face this week, I would have to think you really, really want to play the Packers. And there's also the fact that you've already seen the Packers. They got up 21 nothing on you, but you came back. You probably should have won that game, but you've now seen what Matt LaFleur has, and by that time we get to the playoffs, you'll have seen it twice. And they can't really fool you with anything they're going to do. They would just have to straight up beat you, whereas if you're playing Kyle Shanahan for the first time and you haven't seen him or Sean Payton those two guys are wizards they're going to draw up things that you haven't seen before which for a defense that is not as good as it used to be I think might be a problem but uh, Chad let's talk about this Chargers team for a second here I am amazed when you look at their schedule, A, how hard it actually has been. Um, this is the year of, hey, your schedule sucks, so you're good. <laughs> this is not the case for the Los Angeles Chargers. The only gimme on here, because I wouldn't even say Oakland was necessarily a gimme. They lost to them by two points, was Detroit in Week 2, but Detroit in Week 2, they were <laughs> they playing lost. better. They were playing better then. But aside from that, um, okay, the Denver losses aren't great, uh, but Denver is not like a complete joke, as we saw here at U.S. Bank Stadium. They kill the Jacksonville Jaguars. They hung tight with Tennessee, who turns out is actually great all of a sudden. They hang really close with Houston. They hang really close with Kansas City. Does this have the feeling of a classic underestimate the opponent like late season, looking forward to Green Bay type of Vikings performance. It does so much to me that I think, and this might be a hot take, but I truly believe this. I think the Vikings have a better chance of losing this game than they do at home against the Packers. Wow. I do not that is think that, I don't think they're going to have an issue with the Packers. Nothing I've seen from the Packers, you know, is telling me that they're a team gearing up for the playoffs. Watching, I just saw, you know, the sort of 20 minute rundown highlight version of their game against Washington. They were dreadful. Yeah. Washington is a horrible team and the Packers barely beat them. The Packers right now do not scare me. I think that the Vikings match up well against them. I just, think that that Green Bay defense has fallen back to earth a little bit and the offense is doing you know really nothing that would indicate uh, the Vikings couldn't handle them the Chargers uh, you know look the Packers are a better team than the Chargers but just the way that it all lines up with everybody already looking ahead talking about the Packers how big that game is Monday night right before the holidays in Minneapolis I do think it's going to be a little bit difficult to go out to the West Coast take that four-hour flight that Mike Zimmer's teams have not always done well on the West Coast I I think that this, you know, whether you want to call it a trap game, I don't know if that's fair or not because the Chargers, for being a five-win team, still have some talent. But I would be very, very worried about this game uh, from the Vikings' perspective. Talking with uh, Chad Graff of The Athletic here. You can follow him uh, at theathletic.com and uh, Chad Graff on Twitter. I assume it's Chad Graff. Like, it is. Yeah, you didn't just, add, like, Draft generic. Scout or NFL <laughs> or some, something to it. Um, so when I look at the other team's stats going into a game, there's almost uh, like, a, I don't know what you would call it, a template for 
what teams could give the Vikings some trouble. And usually, if they're a good passing offense, and if they pressure the quarterback a lot, then they can be pretty dangerous to, to go against the Vikings. Well, the Chargers have one of those two things. They haven't allowed a ton of points, but they don't sack the quarterback a lot. They do have Joey Bosa. They do have Melvin Ingram. And they are in the top 10 in passing yards per game, which isn't just because they were losing. They were playing close games all the time. I think, Chad, this defensive back rotation is really going to be tested here. And this passing defense is going to be tested here going up against Rivers. And also, if you're a Vikings team that does a lot of your damage with the pass rush, since your defensive backs aren't playing that well, Phillip Rivers gets rid of the ball pretty quick. You look at his entire career, there are very few times he's sacked more than 40 times in a season, despite never in my lifetime having a good offensive line. <laughs> I cannot ever remember Phillip Rivers having a good offensive line. Um, so this one kind of has some of the earmarks, not all of them, but some to make this a very interesting matchup. Well, especially given that it's on the road. And the cornerback rotation is so you know, interesting to me because yes, it existed. Yes, it was a thing, but everybody now is acting like this is the cure all for all of the Vikings' secondary woes. Let's not forget they were playing David Blau. Like, cornerback rotation, not cornerback rotation. I don't think they were going to have an issue against the Detroit Lions. And yes, the Lions torched them in the secondary before. That was with Matthew Stafford playing arguably the best football of his entire career. David Blau is not going to have those issues. So, Yes, they had the cornerback rotation. Yes, I think they'll continue it, and perhaps it is a better solution, but I don't think that is necessarily the end-all, be-all. And with Philip Rivers, one of the interesting things that Mike Zimmer talked about this week was, you know, he's 38 years old, but in Zimmer's eyes, his arm strength hasn't gone down. And, you know, I think what was noteworthy is that he's still willing to put it into some very tight windows. He's going to give your defense some chances to make plays. And if you make those plays, you're probably going to beat Philip Rivers. And if you don't, um, you know, they, they're going to march down the field and put up some points on you. And I don't think anything that we have seen from the Vikings' secondary tells you that they're capable of breaking up those plays in tight windows. Xavier Rhodes has talked extensively about, look, we're here, we're in the right spot, we're just not completing the play. And against Phillip Rivers, you have to complete that play. Right, and against Keenan Allen, too, you're going to have to because he's the most underappreciated receiver in the NFL because he plays for the Los Angeles Chargers. He's got almost a 1,000 yards this year. He's a great route runner, contested catch guy, kind of like I've thought of him as sort of like an Adam Thielen where he's not a blazing fast guy but does it a lot with technique and contested catchability. But I, I wanted to talk more about Rivers because I just I love talking about Rivers a, because of his career is so interesting that he gets to live in the shadow of Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, and Manning, where it's one of those guys in every single Super Bowl except one with Flacco for like 15 years. And then here's Philip Rivers like, hey guys, I'm in the Pro Bowl again, and, and that sort of thing. So uh, you know, he's always been really, really good, but... I, I love that he's always been that sort of gunslinger, that he talks trash out there. He's become appropriate trash. Yes, he's become one of the most likable figures and root forable figures. And when they got crushed last year against New England, it felt like very typical Philip Rivers. But it, it's almost like he falls into a similar category to Kirk Cousins in that. He would never have a case for the best quarterback in the league at any point during his career, but would always be in that conversation for that next tier right behind the great quarterbacks. 
and never quite came through with that one big moment. Uh, there was the game where he played with, like, what, a torn hamstring or something and, and won, but that you have to go back a long ways. There's a lot of 8-8. Eight and eight, There's a lot of 7-9. and nine, Yet, he's viewed differently because he's more of a risk taker, more of a gunslinger. So when Cousins fails on you, it's because he tried to throw to Irv Smith on fourth and three for two <laughs> yards. And when Phillip Rivers fails, it's because he was heaving it into double coverage for no discernible reason and getting it picked off. Well, one of the interesting things about him is while I think he is pretty beloved, he's also easy to mock in terms of the Chargers have lost so many games the exact same way where they get the ball at the end, they've got a chance to go put together a drive, and for whatever reason, the drive doesn't get there. Sometimes it's his gunslinger mentality that gets him into trouble. Sometimes it's the offense just not being very good, but they are always in games. It seems like they very rarely get blown out, and then... I don't have a great explanation for it, but they just can't seem to seal those games when Philip Rivers has the ball at the very end uh, with a chance to win it. Which is so similar to Cousins, but for yeah. such different reasons. I mean, even in KC, uh, or Mexico City against KC, <laughs> driving, making plays, they get a penalty or something, and like, wow, Rivers is going to do this. He's going to really surprise Kansas City here and then throws the pick at the end. And they mismanage the clock against, uh, what was it, Denver, and yep. then they give up a 50-yard field goal or something. I'm getting the details wrong, but uh, there should be a 30-for-30 30 30 on you, this you Chargers could just season. say those about the Chargers, you know, really the last 10 years, and I was about to say as you were listing all of this, man, it must be really tough to be a Chargers fan, but I'm sure those eight people are really disappointed Whoa. with that. Smack Burn. talk, yeah, got him. Pew pew pew, <laughs> nailed it. Um, what well, you know, I, I, th- that's another element of this game that I'm interested to see what this looks like when we arrive to, uh, whatever healthy person stadium, rocket in, something or other. Whatever, I don't whatever. know what it is. The, but, the whole situation with the Chargers is so fascinating to me. After reading the great ESPN piece that I think was by Don Van Natta and Seth Wickersham that essentially broke down the politics between the Rams and the Chargers, where the Rams are essentially footing the bill for almost everything, and the Chargers are kind of riding the coattails, um, and that presents you know the fascinating dynamic of like how much the Chargers feel like they can have input on what's going on with this you know supposedly beautiful state of the art stadium, how they've sort of managed trying to build a fan base in Los Angeles at the same time the Rams who are putting investing so much more are it's it's a fascinating thing and like it's easy to discount the fact that the Chargers don't have any fans but it is a little bit interesting to just take a step back I think and and look at the reasons why and how in the world they're going to try to make this work. What do you think that's going to be like on Sunday? Do you, do you think it's going to be 80% purple, 75% purple, and we're going to go in there and, and think that this is like an alternate universe right. that we are walking into? <laughs> Not only a stadium that's half as big as games we usually field, cover. Right. And from the other reporters who... Because you have to, if you're a reporter, take a picture of the field, wherever yep. you're covering. Uh, View from my office like, today. This is going to be... But this, this is going to be the closest maybe we've ever been. When we were in the remodeling Coliseum in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. we were pretty darn close to the action. But this is not going to feel like we're covering an NFL game, much less one that's on the road since you have all these people here yet it's going to be 70 and sunny and nice it's just i think it's going to be very bizarre for everyone in that stadium i also don't blame 
the supposed quote unquote Chargers fans. Like if I were living there, uh, this team shows up that, you know, used to play a couple hours away. I sort of watched every now and then. I'm in LA. It's 70 and sunny. I'm also not just sitting on my couch for eight hours a day watching football as I do here. I love football, but I also love 70 and sunny and beaches and nice weather. And so I, I really don't fault the fans for not showing up, especially at the crazy prices that they originally started at. And I just don't know how viable it is for the NFL, even with the nicest stadium in the country in Los Angeles. I don't know how viable it is to have two teams there. You could see where the Rams would still have a fan base that had all grown up with the Rams who would be excited, kind of like when the Cleveland Browns came back in you know different town, obviously. But the Browns go away. They come back. Of course they're embraced. That was our team. And you could see it being the same way with the Los Angeles Rams where, yeah, I remember... Jerome Bettis and uh, Jim Everett, if those guys were there then. Um, but with the San Diego Chargers moving up, there's no connection whatsoever. And they had been in San Diego since the AFL days. Right. So they had built their fan base for over a very long time and essentially just left town over money and who was going to build the stadium and so forth. And then are trying to, like you said, ride the coattails of the Rams. But it could be a very interesting dynamic where everyone shows up for Rams games and they have good attendance and everything else. And then Chargers games, it's like, man. And then after Phillip Rivers retires, we don't even know who their quarterback is going to be, if they're going to draft one this year. And that always matters. for If you're trying to build a new fan base, the best way to do it, like if you were going from Houston to Tennessee, Steve McNair, okay, automatic fan base because McNair's exciting and you go to a Super Bowl. I don't see the Chargers being a super relevant team anytime soon. Uh, Well, they've got some good pieces, Derwin James, Melvin Gordon, but... When you don't have your quarterback figured out and, you know, for as much as we've praised some of what Philip Rivers has done throughout his career, they very much do not have their quarterback situation figured out. No, not for I think the there's a, a better chance than not that he's not even in Los Angeles next season. I think he's probably elsewhere. His contract is up. He's got a chance to, you know, head to one other place. And it's been an awesome time with the Chargers, but they're moving into a brand new stadium, building a fan base. I would imagine you want to at least draft somebody who you can pretend is going to be the face of your franchise, yeah. even if, you know, you picked them 18 and, and they may not end up being that. You want to at least give yourself a chance that maybe that happens. So would you love that or hate that? Because Dan Marino famously almost came to play for the Vikings, right? which would have been so super weird if if he was here just like dan marino but brett Favre ended up here and it hasn't tarnished his legacy for Favre. in fact it sort of built up the his aura by being able to take another team to the nfc championship and then blow it in key fashion uh for another franchise other than just his own i wonder what that would feel like for philip rivers to be the quarterback of the bears or something like that Super strange, but if you're the Bears, you've got to at least check with them, right? If you're a good team that could possibly win but doesn't know what you're doing at quarterback, Rivers should be a guy you at least make the phone call to. For sure. And thinking about who would, you know, he's been overshadowed by throughout his career. Maybe Tom Brady's in Los Angeles next year playing for the Chargers. California kid. It, there have been lots of reports, as you know, tend to come from Foxborough, uh, that Tom Brady you know, doesn't seem likely that he's going to play with the Patriots next year. That will also be super weird. The guy who has been attached to Bill Belichick and hoisting these Super Bowl trophies suddenly playing for, I don't know, like the Bengals or something. Like, it's just hard to even fathom. The, yeah. the, I, I don't know. I can't even think of a team. 
Yeah, I, I mean, Los Angeles would make sense for Brady, but then his coach wouldn't be videotaping the other team's signals, so he might struggle a little bit. Um, so, Chad, all right, I appreciate it. A lot of zingers it. on this segment. Boom, roasted. Uh, Chad, before, that'll be our segment. We could do it regularly. <laughs> like, all right, now it's time for Chad Graff with the boom roasted We'll, we'll get the Michael Scott boom roasted, yes, and yes. we'll play that over. It'll be good. We do have Turbo Snark that we haven't used enough of lately, but uh, the Patriots <laughs> always provide um, a, the ability to be snarky. And uh, we could spend a lot of time on that, but I know you got to go. So let me ask you this. If the Vikings win, blank will have happened. If the Vikings lose, blank will have happened. Fill them in. If the Vikings win, the secondary will continue to show that this cornerback rotation is working, that Xavier Rhodes has taken a couple of steps forward. He's not 2017 Xavier Rhodes, but hey, he's a reliable starting cornerback in the NFL. If the Vikings lose... Pat Elfline has gotten torched. The offensive line was overwhelmed. Kirk Cousins was under duress and throwing two-yard passes on third and 11, and it went very south for the offense very quickly. Okay, I'm going to go with if the Chargers lose that someone missed the last-second field goal. I don't know who their field (laughs) goal kicker is. is. Could be anyone at this point. And if the Vikings lose then the word strip sack will have been oh, said like that. on multiple occasions. It's on the, multiple it, occasions. It is the one thing that you go into every game, and the first thing you look at is who could strip sack Kirk Cousins. Isn't it? I mean, you're like, well, clowny, right? I mean, right, right. Vaughn Miller, and then they did. They the do. Denver yep. did, yeah. And then here you go with not only Bosa, but Ingram. And to your point about Pat Elfline, sometimes in key situations, they put those two on the same side of the field against Riley Reef and Pat Elfline, potentially. And this won't be like in Detroit, where you're standing there waiting progression, progression, throw uh, the ball Chad to someone wide open. A I think this is going to be a lot different. So, I guess. Chad, I appreciate your time. You always <laughs> okay. do great work for the athletic. Well, uh, you have a podcast now. For You're a today. podcaster. Uh, you what is the name of, of that? Show, where can people find it? Straight Cash Podcast. You can find wherever you listen to your podcast. Go and search Purple Daily, and you can get the show every single day if you missed any of our conversations today with Derek Klassen, with Chad, or with Alex Boone in Hour One. Then you can find them there. And tomorrow... We will have Myra Metcalf on. He'll be back in Minnesota being very cold. And I'll be here in Los Angeles once again getting you ready for Vikings and Chargers. So coming up next, it is Mackie and Judd with Rami. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays, and Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.